The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. Welcome to Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Another good week for the Arsenal with both the men's and women's teams winning their respective European ties. We'll talk about both of them, as well as the Ballon d'Or nominations, our guests this week. James McNicholas and Art de Roche. Morning. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Hello, Art. Uh, hello, James. Well, Arsenal got the job done on the day that someone else's job was done. Uh, For those of you listening outside of the UK, you may have noticed that while the Arsenal have sailed serenely on, the country as a whole has been going through some upheavals. Our latest Prime Minister, Liz Truss, resigned after 44 days in the job and a new one is being looked for as we speak. Although if you're listening to this on the weekend, it's possible the new one has been chosen, has taken office and then resigned and we're on the hunt again. Anyway, here at Handbrake Off, we thought we'd ask our guests which Arsenal person, past or present, would make the best replacement for Liz Truss as Prime Minister and what qualities would they bring to the table? James, I'm going to come to you first. Well, I think we need someone in position quickly. We need someone who can steady the ship. We need a caretaker, effectively, to oversee this period. And so I had to go for caretaker supreme Stuart Houston. Uh, the man who, in a crisis, Arsenal historically turned to to steer them through. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he seems the obvious choice. I consider Freddie Jumberg, who was a, a good caretaker manager in himself, but uh, I'll stick with Stuart Houston. OK, uh, what about you, Art? What are you going for? My, my uh, candidate is nowhere near as serious. I've just gone for the quality of vibes. Of course you have, Art. And it's Emmanuel Bue. <laughs> Emmanuel Abue. I, I I just think he'd lift the mood quite a bit. He um would. He for would. for maybe an interim spell and then if you wanted to get someone a bit more serious in, you're probably looking at someone like Per Mertzaka. I think he's probably the one out of everyone where you can see he's got some some brains there. So yeah, I think my unserious candidate is Emmanuel Abue and then to back him up, we'll have Per Mertesacker. Per Mertesacker? Well, it would be good to have a tall Prime Minister, I think. We haven't had one that tall in quite no. some time. It possibly <laughs> ever. Although I do worry about him sort of bending down to talk at the podium. But anyway, I've gone for Tony Adams. I, I think Tony Adams, in all seriousness, would have some smart things to say about the justice system, having been through it. There was quite a long time when I was convinced that Arsene Wenger should actually be leader of this country. Uh, uh, obviously, he would stay as Prime Minister too long and it would end in rancour. But, you know, for a while it would be glorious. Uh, but I'm going to cl- I'm going to plump for our club photographer, Stuart McFarlane, for the team talk he gave the cabinet before meetings. You know, this is my country. I <laughs> in love this country. That's it. I think that would get them going quite nicely. Arsenal pushing and probing and Jacka! Brilliant finish! How well taken that was! Arsenal won PSV Eindhoven nil. Uh, also, Leon won Arsenal five, which we'll get to in a bit. In the Europa League, uh, Xhaka scored with his right foot. This is this figure. It's ridiculous. Arsenal's 13th win of the season out of 14 games. Eight in a row. James, they brought the cavalry on, didn't they? Erdegaard and Partey came on. 
I mean, I, like I was saying, I was uh, I was working last night, so I'm listening to the highlights. But Erdogan lifted the play, uh, the place, and lifted the pace of the team when he came on. Yeah, and he played an important part in the goal. I mean, it's a lovely finish from Shaka, but I think that little pass round the corner from Odegaard to Tomiyasu, he makes it look so easy, but he almost barely looks actually at where Tomiyasu is. He just sort of, you know, peripherally is aware of him out on the right, shifts the ball, plays him in. It's a lovely cutback and a great finish. He did bring on the cavalry and he started strong too. I mean, this was a starting eleven that included, you know, Jesus, um, many... Yeah, exactly. Saka. And I found Arteta's comments about Bukai Saka after the game really interesting. You know, he spoke about this idea of, you know, is he being overplayed? And he said, look, the best players in the world play every three days. They play 70 games a season. They score 50 goals. He said, I don't want to put it into a player's mind, this idea that they should be playing less. And I just think that's quite interesting because... Certainly the dialogue among supporters, I think, is more one of concern. Is he going to get injured? We're worried about him. But within the club, you know, they're pushing this guy and they feel comfortable doing that based on the physical stats and information they receive about him. I just think it's sort of an interesting situation. I mean, I can't lie. My heart is in my mouth every time he gets a kick or every time he goes down. But I think we've got to have trust and faith in the people making these decisions. And they're doing so, you know, based on good, sound reasoning. Yeah, and, and although he is a young guy, I mean, he is an experienced player now. He's played over 100 games for the Arsenal. I, I mean, I think he wants to play every game, doesn't he? Yeah, I think in these Europa League games that he started, so obviously PSV last night and then Bodo Glimt away last week, he's probably been the one who's looked most likely to just unlock a defence, I think when... Because he's uh, the best player on the pitch. <laughs> there is that as well. But I think um, when you're looking at him overall, he's just someone who's so robust in almost every sense of the word. He really, rarely gets injured. And I think that's just a testament to him and also, I guess, the, the medical staff as well. Because I remember, I think it was just before the Zurich game, I did ask Arteta whether he would be rested in these Europa League games and he said they do have a plan for him I guess the plan was for him to be rested in the first two games and then secure qualification and hopefully first place so they miss out on the extra knockout round later in the year but I think with Saka you're probably seeing just someone who's benefiting from the confidence that he's been given from a very very young age. Yeah, and the other thing I mean James I'm sure that me and Art have spoken about this in the past but the way that Saka came through the club and, and he was playing, you know, when he was 15, he's playing with the under-18s or something and they pushed him physically and he came through every test. I mean, the guy's strong mentally. He seems to be pretty strong physically as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's got many qualities, but his physical capacity is absolutely one of them and that was evident all through the academy. He's used to playing with older players, used to being the kind of skillful player who does get a bit of a kicking. I mean, even in the incident last night where I think he got a kick on the calf, it didn't stop him. You know, I think they had sort of three bites at him and he managed to dribble away from them and get a shot away. And that's what he's like. His style of play, you know, his close control, his ability to turn, it does invite some of these challenges. But touch wood, thus far, he has shown a real capacity to kind of stand up for that. And I think he's probably aware that as his career goes on, that's going to be important. You know, he can't he can't let it show that he's a player who'll be physically cowed by an no. opponent. No. Um, he needs to show that he'll, he'll sort of give as good as he can get. And I actually think if you watch Saka's development in the last 
year or two, we are seeing a bit more physicality from him towards the opponent. He's using his body a lot more. Sometimes he'll sort of go into a challenge or go shoulder to shoulder, commit a foul here and there. And I like that because I think that's him blossoming and maturing and kind of, you know, learning to use his body and make everything a battle, which it has to be in the Premier League. But I think the reason that he was out on the pitch... It does owe something, of course, to a couple of injuries or absentees. You know, Emil Smith-Rowe is out unexpectedly. Gabriel Martinelli's not been feeling too well as well. You know, perhaps if they were available, we wouldn't be seeing the likes of Saka. So Arteta, he's got a relatively small pool of players, first-team players that he's working with and he's rotating within that. But I get it because, as Art alluded to, the prize is really significant. I mean, to win the group and avoid... Yeah. Exactly, a two-legged knockout tie. That'd be massive. Yeah, because let's be fair, he'd have to play in one of them, wouldn't he, at that point? So better getting him playing now and not have to have that game and keep uh, keep everyone um, a bit more rested. I mean, in terms of his strength, I completely agree with you. I don't know if you were on, either of you were on the pod where we talked about the game against Man United last year, where in the first minute he just bullied, I think it was Dallow off the ball and then turned inside and someone some massive hulking Man United <laughs> midfielder brought him down, but it lifted the whole crowd. And, and yeah, he's definitely using his physicality. Art, on the point that James made about Erdegaard, when he played that ball through to, uh, was it Tommy, uh, yes. out wide, myself and James were was, was talking on Monday uh, and I was telling you about my mate shouting at the telly all of Sunday, telepathic football, telepathic football. There is a bit of that now, isn't it? They know where each other is, uh, where the other players are on the pitch. Definitely. I think the coherence, I guess you'd call it, that's just built over the past few months is really evident now. Even when they're only winning 1-0, they're still very kind of comfortable in games. You guys probably spoke about it after the Leeds game, but there was that Oh, how comfortable we are at Leeds. No, no, there there was a moment (laughs) in the first half against Leeds, uh, there was a passage of play where the ball just moved from one player to another, one touch stuff. And then it ended with Jesus getting fouled on the edge of the box. And and still um, getting his pass away. Yeah. And the ref blew up a little bit too early. But I think you see almost every game, there are passages of play like that. And it's just really good to see one, everybody kind of knows where the other person's going to be. And then two, they're actually composed enough um, to, to make those passes and brave enough too, because even if we look outside uh, Erdegaard for the goal, there was another moment where I think he got the ball with three players on him inside the box and he still was able to get his head up and find Martinelli out on the left. Yeah. And I just think having that, I guess, presence of mind is not something that <laughs> Arsenal have had in previous seasons and it's quite refreshing to see because you're almost getting those flashbacks to that early Emirates football, uh, which I know we've spoken about quite a lot, but... It's actually nice to be seeing it on a consistent basis now. The other thing we're doing, Amy uh, Lawrence wrote a piece about how street smart we've become. We talked about this the other day, James, the way Gabriel was in um, was in Bamford's ear when he got the penalty and, and all the sort of dark arts that, you know what, we have to talk about it really. We know that Mikel Arteta would have learned a lot of this from Pep Guardiola and how to do it because they do tactical fouling all the time. Tierney and Erdegaard made fouls, got booked 
to stop one of their guys running away into space once once we're one nil up. I mean, in the end, as much as I, I probably shouldn't, as a purist, applaud this sort of stuff, to be honest, I want us, if we're going to compete at the top level, we have to do what the top teams do, and they all do it, and I'm happy for our lot to do it as well. They do all do it, and, you know, Manchester City, probably the best team in the company, country, they're uh, the arch exponents, aren't they? And, you know, Arteta was educated as a coach there, and... There's that famous clip, I think, from their Amazon documentary of him talking about, you know, De Bruyne and Silva, how he's happy for them to take a yellow card if it means they can stop the counter-attack. In fact, I think he says they have to do it. That's part of the maturation process, I think, for this Arsenal team, you know, learning those things, that kind of game management. I wrote about this the other day, but even the kind of post-Arsenal goal huddle that you see, you know, it's heartwarming and it's nice and we all see it and we think, oh, that's great team spirit. But it's also a case of managing those vital seconds after you score, you know, slowing the book, the game down. I saw, I remember there was a game recently, it might have been the Liverpool game. After the third goal, they went into the huddle and a couple of players started to break away. And I, I think it was Tommy Asu calling them back, saying, no, 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 stay in the huddle, stay in the huddle, just so we can eat up 30 seconds, 60 seconds, regain our composure in that moment and stop the opposition building immediate momentum. You know, they always say you're vulnerable just after you score. So how can we manage that situation in that moment? And I think that's going to grow more and more as this team become more experienced and as they become winners. I mean, that's what's been, I think, quite interesting in the last couple of weeks is that Arsenal's performance level maybe hasn't quite in the last two or three games been at you know, what we've seen so far this season. I think there have been elements of sharpness that have been missing, but they've harder still... Games. Harder games as well, though. Yeah, and harder schedule, certainly, yeah. in terms of, like, the travel and the trips. But they're still winning these games. Yeah. And they're grinding out clean sheets, too. And I think, if you look at Mikel Arteta's demeanour post-match, I think he's as pleased by that in, in its own way. You know, I think he knows that if they keep playing, chances will come, goals will come. What's impressing him is the mentality at this point in time. And... That's a product of winning. I think wins beget wins and Arsenal are in that groove at the moment. They certainly are. Well, the stats would suggest that is the case. Um, we have the highest win percentage uh, in all competitions in the big five European leagues. 93%, 13 from 14, above Real Madrid, Napoli, Real Sociedad and Paris Saint-Germain. So, yes, there's certainly a winning mentality and it's and it's great to see. Also, the only team to win every match during a Prime Minister's uh, tenure. <laughs> Although that might tell you more, that might say more about uh, Liz Truss than it does about Arsenal. And meanwhile, by the way, the um, women's team had an absolutely fantastic result away at the European champions, Lyon. I mean, we um, are... I mean, I know you watch the women's team regularly. I watched the game last year when we got absolutely stuffed in the first game of the uh, European, in the uh, Champions League against Barcelona uh, last year, uh, who lost to Lyon in the final. Uh, and now we go to Lyon, albeit an injury-affected Lyon team, and we win 5-1 in their home stadium. I mean, it's their first loss by more than one goal in the competition since 2009, and only their second home loss in 82 games. I'm loving the stats this morning, by the way. <laughs> it's excellent, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's quite um, a weird one because I think going into it, no one was looking at this as if it was a, a win. Even I think people would have seen a draw Take as a, a point, good yeah. result, a solid yeah. kind of start to the group stage. And especially when you consider they were going to be without Leah Williamson and Hafiele Souza at centre-back. But I think 
the the way they played against Reading or just the the way Reading played against them as well was quite a good preparation because they didn't have it all their own way. And then when they came to Leon, it was almost like they they just had more space to play in because Reading tried to be really aggressive with them, playing pressing them really high. And then when uh, you see the game against Leon, especially the first goal, you just look at the amount of space that Kim Little's in in midfield, and that's the one player who you don't give that much space. And I just it just seemed like they were comfortable. And one player, I guess, who deserves a, a special mention is Caitlin Ford because everyone is probably going to be focused on Beth Mead with all the Ballon d'Or noise and Vivian Miedemar not starting, but she's been consistent throughout the calendar year, even going back to uh, last season when Jonas Edeval allowed her to go back to Australia for a bit after the Asia Cup and then come back a bit more refreshed. I think all her goals and assists last season came after the new year. And then she started this season really strongly on off the left. So it's quite, I guess, an, an amalgamation of all the kind of good work over the past 12 months, I think. And you're just seeing that this Arsenal team are serious. They do. I, I absolutely agree. Um, James, um, Beth Mead said, we haven't changed much from last season, but the on-pitch understanding now is a lot better. I mean, this is sort of the same conversation we're having about the women's team that we're having about the men's as well. I guess so. And it's a case of a manager who's got his feet under the desk and has the team playing his way now. I mean, inevitably, there was going to be a period of adaptation after Jonas came in. But, I, you know, I, it's funny, I was away for this game. I was on holiday. And when I'm on holiday, I have to sort of pretend to my wife that I'm not interested in football. There's kind of an unspoken football <laughs> ban. So I kept going on my phone. And she was like, what are you What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just looking at the menu for the restaurant tomorrow. It looks really good. And like the goals kept coming in. It was sort of surreal, to be honest, to see that scoreline coming in. And yeah, I've obviously soaked up everything since. And it was interesting listening to Jonas Ardewald talking about how Arsenal looked to exploit the space in behind Leon's fullbacks. You know, they're a, a team that characteristically push on from those areas and Arsenal prepared for that, played for it. You know, they selected Freedom Arnhem for her ball-carrying abilities as well. And it, just a tremendous result. I mean, I think, honestly, a, a landmark result for Arsenal in yes. Europe. And, yeah, I mean, listen, it just adds to the feel-good factor that exists around the club. And, you know, I think they've got a couple of Champions League home ties at the Emirates Stadium. So a result like this is only going to generate even more interest in those. So... Yeah, a really, really fantastic, proud night for uh, for the entire club, that one. Uh, and perhaps Beth Mead will get recognised in photos at some point <laughs> as well, as opposed to just being Viv Mead and Miles' mate. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, another good week uh, for the Arsenal. This is Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Art de Rocher and James McNicholas. Art, I mentioned 
the fact that uh, the photo uh, on social media of Beth Mead, uh, <laughs> Viv Meadavar, and then her friend, her, her plus one, uh, who happened to be the second best women's player in the world. Only one point behind Alexia Puteas in the voting. Viv Meadavar, 11th in, in the final standings. I mean, this is, it, it's, uh, it's an acknowledgement. Of, of what the Arsenal women's team have been doing over the last few years, isn't it? The standard that we've now got in this team. Definitely. I think the the big, I guess, plus for Arsenal as a whole is a lot of this group have been together for a few years now. So even going back to uh, the Joe Montemoro days, a lot of the squad is still the same. So it was almost like I feel Jonas Edeval didn't want to change too much. He just wanted to add on top of uh, the work Montemurro did. So you look at a lot of the play in possession is quite similar. They they look to dominate the ball, but then what really elevated someone like Beth Mead, for instance, was how he wanted to play off the ball. And you can see she's a very aggressive player, both with and without the ball. And that kind of approach just suited her to a T. I I think I spoke to her around this time last year so very early on in the kind of Edeval era. And she said even at that point, he was almost the perfect manager for her. And you just saw that confidence grow throughout throughout the season. And obviously it just came to fruition at the Euros where she was not just scoring goals, but she was assisting goals as well. And I think that's where you see someone who started out as a centre forward, was moved out wide by Joe Montemurro and was open to that challenge. And has been very open ever since. And you see, I guess, the reward for that hard work. And of course, it would have been much better if there was two more votes in her favour. But as you say, I think acknowledgement's probably the right word because I don't think that's an achievement anyone can take away from her. No. And we all know how good she is. Uh, she did, uh, Arsenal women did post guest meads on fire <laughs> with her holding a little sign in front of some fans. Um the other thing, of course, is uh, they've got Juventus, I believe, up next in the uh, in the Champions League, managed, of course, by Joe Montemero. That'll be interesting, wouldn't it, James? I mean, he'll know more about this team than most. Yeah, I think when the draw was made, a lot of Arsenal fans uh, had a hunch that that might be the draw because it's a homecoming, really, for Joe, who obviously had a great time here at Arsenal and was really loved and respected by everybody inside the club. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I've, I have to be honest, I haven't really followed how he's fared at Juventus. Um, so I don't really know. Art might know more than me, but uh, it will be a really interesting tie and great to have Joe back at the Emirates. You weren't getting uh, Juventus um, notifications on holiday? <laughs> no, believe it or not. No, the Juventus women, something had to give. Do you know what I mean? I had to make some sort of compromise. Of your marriage. And that's yeah. fair enough. That I think we can understand that. Bukayo Saka got eighth in the uh, Copper Trophy for under 21 players. I mean, I've read, Art, that that, um, actually it's a really good result. We all know how good he is, but he didn't play in Europe last year. I think all the others did. I mean, we've spoken endlessly about Bukayo Saka, but but just another, again, another acknowledgement of what, what a stunning couple of years he's had. Yeah, it's quite an important point I think you make on Europe because... A lot of these kind of trophies, individual trophies at, say, Ballon d'Or level or FIFA or UEFA level, a lot of it comes down to reputation as well, I feel. So, say, if Beth Mead hadn't won the Euros, she probably wouldn't have got second. Even if they 
lost the final, I think that would have had an impact. So when you look at Bukayo Saka breaking into that top 10, I think it's just a, a really good sign of where both he and Arsenal are because it's definitely, I guess, an upward trajectory for him. And you just hope that they're able to sustain that. Um, obviously, I think he, I doubt he'd be able to be eligible for that same trophy um, next year because he turns 22 next September. Yeah. But um, past it over the hill. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I yeah. think when you're, when you're looking at the development of a player, that acknowledgement is, without being in Europe is something I don't think you'd see very often. I also think for an English player, it's mm. quite unusual. You know, I think these awards historically have maybe had a bit of continental bias and and maybe with some justification because I think a lot of times it's about reward of technique and skill and there was a time where I think in Europe, you know, certainly in academy level and development, they were ahead of England in that respect. But that has really changed and we're seeing that with the generation of young English players we see now. But maybe the voting is not quite caught up. So I do think when you contextualise that result, it's really impressive and, and it shows that Arsenal are on people's radar. Sorry, Art. One thing I find quite weird, actually, is how inside England, say, if you look at the PFA results last year, there still see, seems to be that kind of whoever's reputation is best will win. Um mm because it's quite insane that someone can get into the top 10 of the Copper Trophy and not win Young Player of the Year. But I think the less I say about that is probably the better. <laughs> you know what, I, I know what you mean. I find myself not caring that much, really, as long as they're doing the job for us, quietly going about their business. I'm sort of fine. You know, since Pavel Nedved beat Thierry Henry <laughs> to the Ballon d'Or, I've taken less uh, notice of what they say. And the fact is this year, Man City won Team of the Year and not Real Madrid. But And, mm. and that to me was ridiculous, to be honest, after what Real Madrid did in the Champions League. But hey, listen, we know we've got some superstar players in the men's and the women's game and it's great that they're playing for the Arsenal. Uh, Art, you wrote a piece this week about what's been behind Arsenal's improvement this season. Um ended the games with at least 40% of their possessions having ended in a shot rather than 30-35% at the start of last season. But the, the one I found most interesting uh, was the fast starting and the fact uh, that they, they that Eddie Jones, the uh, England rugby coach, that was the thing that he noticed. We come out of the blocks so quickly now and we haven't... Um, we have we haven't gone we have not conceded any goals in the opening thirty minutes because I think teams are a little bit taken aback by the waves of attack coming at them. Yeah, it's it's quite strange to see considering what was happening, say even two years ago, where it almost felt like every kickoff was the start of a, a um, what's it called? Oh. Psychodrama. <laughs> Maybe that, but um, oh, what is it called? Where you. You tip the sand timer. Oh, <laughs> oh an egg An hourglass. An hourglass, hour yeah. yeah. And basically it just felt like Arsenal against the clock the whole game. And yeah. it just, it was very tense. Whereas now I think you're waiting for that kickoff. You're waiting for that whistle and Arsenal just goes straight for it. I think obviously everyone's going to think of um, Martinelli's goal against Liverpool coming in the first minute. But for me, the best example was the Spurs game where... Again, it's those 
really sharp kind of passes in the first few minutes between Erdegaard, Partey, Saka and Jesus. And then they're into the Spurs half and they camp there for about 20 minutes before they score. And I just think them being able to pin teams back and just dominate both with and without the ball. Because if we remember back to that Spurs game, the only real kind of moments they had in that opening 20 minutes were from cheap fouls in midfield. Yes. Um, That is what I think is really encouraging because then you just see that the kind of mindset where there is belief from from the start, whereas before it would have been a bit more panic. And I think with that belief comes clarity in, in what they want to achieve. And you see that with how how sharp the passing is, how quick the play is. And hopefully they're able to sustain that um, again until the World Cup and then once they, they come back uh, after, after the new year. Yeah. I mean, I was also thinking of the uh, the one against Brentford where we didn't score, where Xhaka played yeah. inside to uh, Martinelli and he slipped. But I remember talking to Adrian on this podcast and him saying, oh, I knew we were going to win because of the, the sharpness of the passing straight away. The other thing, James, that Art pointed out was uh, we've named an unchanged lineup more often than any other Premier League team. I mean, that must make a difference. We, we were talking about this, uh, you know, this football, this uh, telepathic football and... The, the more you know who's playing there and what position they're going to be in, that's got to help. Yeah, there's a great chemistry about this team and Arteta, I think, really looks to keep that consistent where he can. He gave an interesting answer last night because Eddie played, but he played from the left with Jesus through the middle and Arteta was asked, oh, why did you do that? You know, Jesus has played his career a lot on the wing. You could have easily done that, put Eddie up top. And he said, well, it's one change rather than two. It's as simple as that. He just wants to try and keep a consistent hub to, to the team. And, yeah. and we've seen that all through his selections this season. And hopefully it can continue. I mean, this is the most testing period of the season, arguably, in terms of the amount of games we play. So it's the greatest test of consistent selection, certainly. And let's see, we go to Southampton on Sunday. Fingers crossed it'll be a similar sort of team to the one uh, that won at Leeds last weekend. Quite. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, we lost at Southampton last year. Critical in uh, our failure to reach the top four. But it's uh, this is a different team and a different club, isn't it, really? So, uh, yeah, forward with uh, optimism, I think. Let's have a song to end. Art. What, uh, what, uh, <laughs> I know I'm not going to know this song, but it doesn't matter, does it? Who cares? What song have you got uh, for us, Art? So, so I was watching the game last night and the longer it went on, the longer I felt it was just going to end up in a draw. And Arsenal haven't drawn since January, I think, when they played Burnley, which is a long, long time. So my song is called Long Time by Playboy Carti. I ain't feel like this in a long time. I ain't feel like this in a long time. Right, James nodding. James nodding. Uh, obviously, uh, quite a bit younger than me, so uh, is in tune with the kids. Whereas, okay, I'm just going to go. Well, fair enough. That sounds like an excellent tune. Uh, what have you got for us, James? Well, after Granite's goal, I was like, I've got to pick a, a Shaka Khan song. Um, and there was there, there was some some the obvious one is uh, Ain't Nobody because Ain't Nobody does it like Granite Shaka at the moment, but. I actually am going to go for a ballad. <laughs> I doubt it's going to get played. But the, the title's so good. It's Through the Fire. Because if anyone has been through the fire in their Arsenal career, it's surely Granite Shaka. And I didn't know, but this is the song that 
Kanye West sampled for Through the Wire. Um, and I think the story goes that Shaka Khan never wanted her songs to be sampled, but her, one of her kids convinced her to let Kanye sample it for Through the Wire. So there you go. I'm going to go Shaka Khan, Through the Fire. Nice. I am, well, after Mikel Arteta talked uh, about the players, he wants the players to want to play every three days. I've gone for uh, Desire by you too, because, uh, you know, that's what we want. We want them to have that desire. And right now we can see them having it. And it's absolutely fantastic to watch. At some point we will do a pessimistic handbrake, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just no, we might as well enjoy ourselves, right? Uh, so that's it. Uh, for uh, another happy handbrake off thank you to Art and thank you to James and thanks to Abby uh, who's our producer who's come back for a short while uh, to look after us and thank you listener as well Uh, enjoy the weekend see you soon